Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Wise Athletes Podcast, where we invite you to join our journey to understand how older athletes can achieve high performance and longevity in athletics. I am Joe Lavelle with Dr. Glenn Winkle, and this is episode 23 of our podcast. Today, I am joined by Patrick Bohan, who is the author of How a Neurological Disorder Changed My Life for the Better. Patrick is an avid cyclist who has won state and national championships despite being afflicted by two neurological disorders. Listen in as Patrick describes how his outlook on life and a simple philosophy of always overachieving allows him to do more than seems possible. His story is amazing. We can all learn from his example in not making excuses, never feeling sorry for himself, and never giving up. Let's talk to Patrick. Good afternoon. I'm joined today by Patrick Bohan, the author of How a Neurological Disorder Changed My Life for the Better. Patrick is a writer and an avid cyclist who has won state and national championships despite being afflicted by two neurological disorders. Welcome to the Wise Athletes Podcast, Patrick. Thanks, Joe. Thanks Thanks for having me, and I, I hope I can uh, help somebody along the way while I tell my story. Well, having read it, I'm sure that you can. I'll start by saying that while it is true that Patrick has two neurological disorders, they do not have him. When you look up the word grit in the dictionary, you should see a photo of Patrick standing atop a podium after he has beaten completely healthy, very strong cyclists in state and national level time trial events. Patrick's story is simply amazing. In our discussion today, we'll explore how Patrick has used his power for never giving up, for never feeling sorry for himself, for never letting a good excuse become an obstacle to accomplishing his goals. Those are some of the nicest things people said about me, so I appreciate it. Patrick, can you tell our audience a bit about yourself and the neurological disorders you contend with every day? Yeah, so I'm an engineer. I do a little bit of consulting on the side, and I can work from home, which is which is helpful because I have limitations uh, with my hands and my feet and the amount of time I could stand and uh, things of that nature. The most significant of the disorders that I have is is one that's called uh, multifocal motor neuropathy. Uh, that's an autoimmune disorder. Basically, what it does when an autoimmune disease, it attacks yourself. It attacks good tissue. It attacks healthy tissue. And in my case, uh, it's actually attacking the uh, myelin sheet, which is Kind of like if you have a wire and you have insulation on it, it's it's attacking the insulation of the nerve. Okay. And basically what that does is it affects how fast signals uh, can propagate and if they can propagate and it attacks the actual uh, nerve itself, then that can deteriorate the, uh, the amplitude of that signal as it goes through. Uh, so that's basically what it is. It's a neuropathy. It basically affects things from the elbow to the hand and from the knees to the feet. That's what basically most neuropathies have that kind of uh, pattern. Uh, I do have issues in other areas. I do have some other oddities that they can't explain. So I don't necessarily fit in one bucket of disorders. I have problems in my quads that are called uh, complex repetitive discharges, whatever that means. Uh, but basically it means when they, when they insert a needle into my quads uh, and they're looking at an oscilloscope of what's happening, if, if you're not flexing your muscle or doing anything with it, 
there should it should be silent. There shouldn't be anything there. But they're they're getting signals. So there's this this repetitive uh, signal that occurs, and that happens in cases of myopathies. So a myopathy is a muscle disease, and it's a, a little bit different from a, from a neuropathy. So the last neurologist I saw, he was, it was funny. He was sitting there thinking out loud. He's kind of like House. I don't know if anyone's seen the TV show House. He, <laughs> sure. He doesn't have a bad bedside manner, uh, but he, he was thinking out loud and he was just like, wow, wouldn't that be something else? Wouldn't that be exciting if you had both a myopathy and a neuropathy? And I'm like, no, 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 no thank you. <laughs> I don't know if that explains things in pretty simple terms. Not to be morbid, but so that we can understand really just how challenging it is for you to have accomplished what you have in athletics. What are some of the symptoms? It's basically muscle atrophy, uh, weakness, and fatigue. So atrophy is a, a serious thing. I mean, you're basically losing muscle mass. And that's that's happened in my hands, my feet. And to some extent, uh, my my calves. Uh, so there's also cramping that goes along with it, along with uh, paresthesia type symptoms, which like in your hands and feet. So if you're riding a bike and everyone who's ridden a bike knows that if you're holding your hands in that position for a while, you, you get to the point where you have to shake it out a little. Sure. Get like this tingling and numbness and it. Well, I kind of start with that. Oh. So my hands just, I, I, I really don't have much confidence in my hands. And that's basically how I got into time trialing is because I, I could put less pressure on them. But so I get muscle fasciculations, which is nothing. It's just a fancy word for muscle twitching. Okay. So my, my muscles always are firing at some level, usually in my legs and calves. I can always feel it. So if I'm if I'm laying down in bed, there's just this, I can feel these little pops. And then there's always this little tingling going on. It's just like there's little ants crawling around underneath you. And somebody asked me, well, how do you sleep with that? I said, it's difficult. And so I actually have to get some help trying to sleep with some medications and things. It's So there are there are some challenges with it. And, and the other major symptom that would affect cycling is that I, I I don't have an Achilles reflex anymore. It's it's absent. It's gone. So your Achilles tendon is is pretty important. That's what transfers power from your muscles into your foot into the bones, and that's what gives you the power for pedaling. So when you lose that, there has to be some kind of degradation in the efficiency of of how much pedal power you could be creating. Those sound like unpleasant symptoms. For me, I, I kind of laugh about it a little bit because it's just, it is what it is, you know? I mean. Well, yeah. I guess there's no cure. There is no cure. For MMN, it's very slowly progressive. And there is a treatment for it. The treatment is, uh, is called IVIG infusions. And IVIG just stands for intravenous immunoglobulin treatments, fusions, and immunoglobulins are something that everybody has in them. That's part of your immune system. And I'm deficient with immunoglobulins. Sometimes I'm below spec. Sometimes I'm just barely within spec specification. Uh, so 
The problem with IVIG with me, it, it slows progression. It doesn't necessarily cure anything. But the problem for me is I respond poorly to it. So there's a lot of symptoms that can happen from that. And the worst is, is I get eczema. Oh. And it is really, really bad. I mean, the dermatologist was like, I have never seen eczema like this in my life. He says, you got to stop this. And I go, well, that's the only thing that may prolong me to move and do things. And he's just like, then you got a tough choice to make. Yeah. So that's basically where I'm at. Wow. Patrick, where do you think this came from? Did, were you born with it? Did it arise from something external? Autoimmune diseases usually have some kind of uh, environmental trigger of some kind. Some Something happened. It could be uh, medications, antibiotics, certain antibiotics, uh, things for like Provacol, like statins for... Uh, cholesterol, things like that can trigger. There's a lot of things that can trigger things, but I actually, I definitely think I was born with an autoimmune, with an immune deficiency, and that somewhere along my life, there's been a trigger that made this worse. And it, it could have been a lot of things. I've, I've had issues, uh, you know, I went through abuse as a child. I was I was an alcoholic. It's been over 20 years since I drank, but all those things are bad things and things that can lead to autoimmune disease. They're all tied to it. And but part of my theory is, is that it's possible that maybe I triggered something because I always had problems with cramping as a kid. And I always felt these weird sensations inside me, not as bad as they are now. So I always think I had something even early on. And I think that it's possible that as I've, I've hit other triggers in my life, it, it's, it's just exasperated or made things worse. So I don't know if that's true, uh, but that's my theory. I'm not a doctor. I can only go off what, what I'm feeling and, and, and what I've, and how I've interpreted things. Despite all of that, you are an athlete. I understand you are an athlete in high school. Is that right? Yes, I was a ha athlete in, in high school. Uh, I, tr I tried to do a lot of things and I was, you know, okay in a lot of sports. I was an okay baseball player. I was an okay cross-country runner, uh, but nothing, nothing special. <laughs> but you were athletic and you've continued to be athletic, which is both admirable and amazing hearing you describe the symptoms. I understand you, like I, used to do rock climbing and mountaineering, and I can't even imagine. I mean, I know how hard it was not having those symptoms. I mean, sometimes I had symptoms like that just because I was freezing to death. You know, I can't even imagine starting that way. But you gave that up, and you also, as a master's aged athlete, you were also a runner, but had to give that up as well. Is that right? Yeah, I, I never really competed in running after my 20s. I, I only just ran to uh, stay in shape, you know, hiking trails. I had to give that up. Coming down was things were, were bothersome. So most of my problems when I was when I was hiking and running was in my calves and my lower legs. I would get bad cramps and I would get it feel like people like someone stabbing me with a knife. 
And I was just like, I, I just can't do this anymore. So that's, that's part of my evolution towards, towards biking. Cool. And so you started cycling at uh, age 50. And how long did it take you before you started winning? The first races I went in, I think I went through the story with you is that I, I rented a bike because I didn't have a road bike and I did okay in those races. And, and the people at those races uh, convinced me to get a bike and be more serious. And uh, I think once I started to get the proper equipment within a year, I was, I was, uh, I think I was doing, I was winning races. Wow. That's amazing. And the fact that you focus on TT is another marvel. I have always thought of time trialing as a sport of suffering. It is. <laughs> Even though I have the physiology for doing TT, so I've just never been able to bring myself to train for it. It's just too hard. How have you been able to train hard enough to do well? I don't know exactly how to answer that question. I think every day I get up, I don't feel like exercising or doing anything, but I know I have to. And, but once I get started and it, it, it's almost, it, I think there was like a Woody Allen quote that said like 80% of life is showing up. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, if once you get to the gym, people minus they, they work out, right? It's just a matter of getting to the gym. It's a matter of starting. And so that quote kind of stuck with me. And then once, once I got started, then I'm like, well, I might as well make it worthwhile. And by that, you mean working hard? Working hard. I mean, of course, you know, you, there's recovery rides here and there. And then, you know, there's zone two rides just to, you know, change your, to train your body to, uh, to burn fat instead of uh, carbs is at a higher level. But then there's for intervals. Yeah, you might as well. You're there. You might as well. Do the best you can. Yeah, I'm not sure you're giving yourself enough credit. I, I kind of fall into the category of people who they're not feeling at their best. Well, then today, I, I just don't have it today. You know, I'll do a recovery ride instead or I'll do something else. But it sounds like you don't ever feel great. I don't. And that's the problem. So there's always this challenge of, am I doing too much? Because I would never know if I'm overtraining because I feel fatigue all the time. And so a person with normal body functions can get up and see that their heart rate's accelerated or something that, hey, maybe I need another day of recovery or something. But I, I never get that. But the point is, is I would never have any functional training if, if I, every time I felt fatigue, I just, I just, didn't do anything. I, I would I would be nowhere. Right. And I remember uh, from our earlier conversation, one of the benefits that came to you because you are so relentless in going for your hard workouts, even when you don't feel well, is that showing up at a race and not feeling well is not an impediment to you. No, I, that's one of the things I've tried to look at. So I it's, it's easy to harp on the negatives of, of what I have going on. And, and it's easy to use that as an excuse as to why I may not do well or, but I try to start it, started to look at my disorder from a different perspective. I started to think, what is it that could be advantageous for having this? 
And that sounds strange, like you wouldn't think anything would be advantageous from having this, but the fact that you have to deal with pain and you have to deal with discomfort all the time is great mental training to suffer, to, to, be, to be on a bike, to, to mentally prepare you to be in a race. And I've heard these, I, I was at a race in New Mexico, I think it was, and there was a competitor, he, he, he's, he's faster than me. He's, his name was Bill Dahl. He, he races in my, my class and he was gonna do a, uh, his warm up ride before the race. And he says, I'll know in one minute whether I'm gonna have a good day or a bad day. And I said, well, how will you know that? He says, well, my, my legs will feel heavy. And I was just kind of like, well, don't your legs feel heavy all the time? Right. And so I, start, I started to learn that what happens is that people, even time trialists who you know, know how to suffer, if they know that they're having a bad day, all of a sudden they, they turn into like, say, a training ride or something. And I would never do that. I would always fight for every second in the race. I, right. I, I, I just don't understand just cashing it in. Yeah. Well, that's your superpower, man. My instincts would go along the lines of your competitor. I, they're gonna, you're going to suffer so hard in that effort. To not feel well before you even start would shake my confidence so badly that I just wouldn't feel like I could really invest that much suffering when I already thought I couldn't do it. But you, having done it so many times, even though you didn't feel well, it doesn't shake your confidence at all. You just try all the harder. Yeah, that's what it's been about for me. I, I just, I've just found that even when I've had really bad days and I never really thought I would do well, if I fought and I just dug deeper I would end up doing, I would surprise myself. I would do better than I, I thought I would. And a lot of times on days when I actually seems like my symptoms are worse, I, I end up doing better on, than on days than I feel better. And I, I, I don't know if it's because I, I push harder when I'm, when I'm feeling worse. On, on days you may get that you feel better, you may start to get a little complacent. Yeah. You know, and just say, hey, I'm doing okay. I know I'm doing okay. I'm meeting what I think I am. But but then do you really dig deeper? You get satisfied. Right. And for, for me, when I'm not beating my objectives during a race, I'm not satisfied. So it pushes. Well, I wonder if you have, I mean, aside from the benefits of feeling accomplished, like you have accomplished something, you know, satisfaction from having done so well in your races, have you seen any other benefits in your life from your hard exercises? Yeah, I mean, I've I've learned a, a lot of life lessons. For example, the the fact that I have to lay down a lot. I spend a lot of time laying down like 12, 14, 15 hours a day. But I don't I, I'll read, I'll learn. So there's other avenues that I can explore even if I'm not being active and, and that's enabled me to learn things and to, and to write about them and to write books about them. You know, if, if one door closes, another door opens up and you find some solutions. But I have like lots of sayings that I put at the end of my book, things that I've learned, sayings, and maybe some of them are cliche. Like I, I, I say that 
that the my MMN is not an end but a beginning. So it's just that you it's not an end to your life. It's just your life is different and you just got to figure out what that is. And I tell people if 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 you want to get better at something, don't be afraid of stress and anxiety. It's not necessarily a bad thing. And to do something that will bring you out of your comfort zone every day, if you do that, then I think you could train your the, the genes that are responsible for grit and determination and perseverance and those personality traits, I think you can improve them huh. by, you know, adversity stinks, but it, it's the way you handle it. And it's the, that's the way that those are the things that define us. And so those are some of the things that I've fallen back on in my life and just try to help you be a better person. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to help people that have disorders, people write to me all the time and talk to me. And I don't know if I'm helping people, but I can, I can listen. So in those regards, I mean, you have a lot of empathy because when people look at people that have like peripheral neuropathy or, or some neurological disorders, a lot of times they just, they look fine. It looks like there's nothing wrong with them. And everyone, when, when they start talking about things, when people look fine, People think you're crazy, that there's nothing wrong with uh, you, but you, you really don't know what's going on inside of somebody. Well, that sounds like a very wise attitude, and in fact, something that all of us could benefit from being better at. Yeah, good for you for having figured that out. But what about physical, like with the illness, does your exercise help push the illness from getting worse or, or worse faster? Does it do you any good physically, the heart exercise, do you think? You know, the other neurological disorder that I that they think is combined with the with the MMN that I have is is something called peripheral nerve hyperexcitation. That's PNH. And that's a little less extreme than the MMN. But I think the hard exercise actually exasperates those symptoms from PNH. But Ironically, I do believe that the hard exercise and exercise in general is what's slowing the progression of the MMN, the more serious factor, the more progressive factor. You know, it hurts some things and it, and it, uh, I think it helps the most important thing, if that makes any sense. Sure, sure. Well, it's good that you get multiple benefits out of it. I, I mean, I think that all of us athletes, and particularly uh, older athletes, hope and should get more out of doing athletics than just enjoying the athletics or enjoying the accomplishments from the athletics. We, sh you know, we should get healthier or maybe age more slowly. I, and I'm not sure quite how to say we're on a decline, but we can really slow it down maybe for yeah. a long time and stay active and healthy for a long time. I wanted to ask you, what would you say we could all learn from you, from your experience athletically? What lessons could come away from your example? You know, the guy who was a average high school athlete and unfortunately had these conditions come on and get worse over time, but yet you found it in yourself to overcome that, to achieve amazing results. I mean, what would you say that means for all of us? Well, I think the things that I've learned in racing and life in general is 
is to always be an overachiever. Even if you're good at something, be better at it. And one of the things I, I found that, that really helped me in cycling is that I practice and I train generally alone. That forces me, if I'm having a really bad day or if it's it's really windy, I, I, I can't get in behind, you know, get on somebody's wheel and, and make it easier on myself. So by practicing alone, it just it just forces me to, to deal with things, uh, deal with the extrinsic factors as well as anything that may be intrinsically going on with me. I just, I don't know, I found in my book, I kind of call cycling the great equalizer of endurance sports. And what I mean by that is that people with disabilities, I mean, look at what some of these paracycle people do and and look how fast people over 50, I mean, there's still, there's people over 50 still riding around 50 minutes for a 40K race. That's not that much of a decline from what the, from what the national record is, but where I think in other sports, you would see more of a decline in performance, like such as running and swimming. And part of that is, is that the technique that it, that it takes to run, the technique that it takes to swim uh, is much more critical than a pedal stroke. And I was always told, it's like, oh, you would never be a fast cyclist because you're, you're a masher. You know, I got one of these real slow cadence guys, you know, like 78 or something. But I've seen people that have real high cadences, real low cadences. People have succeeded. Uh, so I don't think that the technique required to ride a bike is it's it's more forgiving huh. than other sports. Well, so maybe to put some new words onto the message, just to see if I'm getting it right, is for anybody out there don't talk yourself out of it. You never know what you can do until you try. And even if you, and as long as you try, you know, whether you become a national champion or not, maybe is beside the point, you're going to get lots of benefits out of it. Yeah. I mean, winning can mean so many different things to so many different people. I mean, winning can be getting out and, and just walking. Winning can be, yeah, going in a race and just finishing. I mean, it's what your goal is. It doesn't necessarily mean that I have to win the race. The goals that you set, you know, vastly different. So it doesn't have to be about winning races. It could just be about just finding your way to win in life. Right. So that's one of the things I've always found is just, just never be satisfied with, with past achievements. If, if your goal was to, you know, walk a hundred yards. Well, if you've accomplished that, then you set new goals to progress on that. Just don't be satisfied with what you just accomplished because if you get satisfied and you get complacent, then it's easy to lose things. It's easy to say, Hey, I don't have to do it today because I know I can do it. Be an overachiever. That's what you said. Yeah. I mean, even if you're really good at something, you could still overachieve. Sure. Well, so Patrick, what else? What else would you say? And maybe let's just move away from athletics for a moment and just talk about just sort of life in general. Is there any other lesson that I think people could take away? Uh, yeah. One thing is is to advocate for your own health. I've seen 10 neurologists over the last 13, 14 years, whatever it is. Don't be afraid to fire doctors that aren't listening to you to get second opinions. And the other thing 
since I wasn't getting the answers I, I wanted, I, my goal was, was to learn my disorder or the possible disorders that I, I could have better than my doctors. And that sounds kind of egotistical or something, but really when it gets down to autoimmune disease, you know, this, this science is really in its infancy when it comes to these kinds of disorders. They didn't even think until about 60 years ago that, that your body could attack itself. Huh. This is all new. And so there's no cures for it. So really a lot of doctors don't really know much about it. So I think just advocating for yourself, advocating for your health can go a long ways, especially if you, cause I've been through four diagnoses. So I've been misdiagnosed, misdiagnosed, misdiagnosed. So it just gives me peace of mind of knowing what I'm going through, uh, even if the doctors don't seem to care or, or not giving me the answers that I want. And just, I, I mean, just being grateful. This may sound stupid, but I, I, after I got sick, I realized that even though I've had trouble getting a diagnosis, this and that, but I feel like I won the lottery when I was born in this country. Yeah, That may sound stupid, but there's so many people in so many other countries around that, that will never have the opportunity to uh, anything like what I've to, to, to even cycle, to even consider cycling, to even, there's going to be naysayers out there, people that don't believe you, what you're saying, because you look like, well, you're, you're doing fine in races. So well, what's this guy talking about? You know, but I can ignore, but I can forgive naysayers. I, I don't want to blame anyone for my unfortunate circumstances. I just, it's easy to do. It's easy to get frustrated and it's easy to lash out at other people. But these are the things I've learned, and I, I just feel very fortunate. Actually, I think if I was born somewhere else, like in some other, you know, second or third world country that, you know, I would have probably died as a youth because I, you know, like I said, I was born with a immune deficiency and, and I had gamma globulin deficiency. And sometimes that's a, that's a silent killer if, if it's not uncovered. And thankfully, I had a great doctor back when I was like, eight or nine years old that figured figured this out. Otherwise, even then I would have, I may have died oh. from it. So, and I never even knew this, that this guy saved my life. I, I, I don't even think my parents understood. I, I never thought I was really that sick. I was just getting staph infections, but I didn't realize how bad it was until I started researching and looking at, looking back as to things that happened to me and what was going on with myself. I just never even realized it. And I, and I, I, I can't even remember the doctor's name. I just wanted to, I don't know if he's still alive. I just, I just like, man, I need to thank this guy. He say, I think he, he saved my life. So there's a lot to be grateful for. It's, it's easy not to be happy about things. It's, it's easy to, to, to harp on the negatives, but there's always people going through a lot worse than, and what I'm going through, just think about it. I mean, I was tested for ALS, for MS. I was tested for a lot of, if I had ALS, I would have been dead years ago. So, I mean, it can always be worse. Yeah. Well, that sure is the right way to think about it. Yeah. It makes me think about my attitude. I need to start looking up. 
you know, Joe, I, I think you probably have a pretty decent attitude. Most people that race and put themselves through training in that, you know, basically have pretty good attitudes to start out with. Uh, my situation just happens. I just happened to stumbled into my situation. So yeah. otherwise, I think other people that that would be going through it would, would be battling like I am. Well, Patrick, if anybody deserved a break, it would be you. But I've waited until now to uh, bring this up. But can you tell us just a little bit about the crash that you had last year that you are, I assume, still recovering from? Because it was a bad one. Yeah, that that was uh, so. Can I start from the beginning? Sure, sure. Okay, so so at Cherry Creek, I was the fifth rider off, and you know they don't start people in Cherry Creek based on their age group or classification. So I don't know who the four people are in front of me, but I, I generally pass them. Yeah. Within the uh, first four miles, I think somewhere around there. So I know I had passed and she's a good rider. She's, she's my teammate. She was, she was the first rider off. And then shortly after that, I remember a car passing me and not too many cars pass you in the park. Most people are driving conservatively. And I just so happened to look down at my speedometer and I was like 28, 29, maybe 29 plus. So I was like, man, I have a little tailwind. And I'm like, I know the speed limit was 25 in the park. So I was like, this guy's driving pretty fast. So I was behind the motorcycle official who was leading the race. And so he passed the motorcycle official. And then there was a little bend. And then I noticed that for some reason, this guy had stopped. So he's parked in the right-hand lane. And so I know I thought about passing him on the left, actually, but I knew the motorcycle official was there and he may have disqualified me, assuming that I went over the center line. And so, but I saw that he was dropping down to pass him on the right and it looked fine to me. But then I kind of got out of my aerodynamic position. I got up, you know, onto the, the horns. And so I was kind of air braking just to start. And then I noticed when I was down, I just couldn't couldn't see it. But there was another parked vehicle, a little bit on the road and a little bit off. And I think it even I don't know if all of a sudden the motorcycle official said, like, like maybe I can't just fit through here. And I saw his leg hit the ground. I was like, oh, my God, he stopped. And I was gaining on him the whole time. And I I'm mad at myself for not like reacting faster and seeing these events unfolding in front of me, but it was a straight section. There was information out there that I got blown over in the wind and my injuries don't support that. They support what my story was that I just locked them up. Yeah. And I don't even think I skid. I think I just panicked. I don't remember hitting the brakes, but I must've locked them up and I sailed. And so I'm an engineer and I've actually kind of calculated, but I think I sailed over eight meters, like 25 feet and did a face plant. So my helmet saved my life. I did a face plant and my shoulder. And so I basically crushed in the left side of my face. No one ever took a picture. No one ever showed me what I looked like. 
But my, when my wife saw me, she left the room. She threw up. She was just like, she didn't know what she was going to see. And I never saw myself, even all the time in the hospital. But my, my face, I was deformed. I was, my face was literally smashed in. Oh, my God. My, my collarbone and my scapula were crushed. And then, like, almost, I think almost every rib on my left side was broken. And all kind of posterior on the back side. And so... I don't know how many bones I broke because there's debate over how many bones, there's small bones in your face, how many of those bones I broke. I've heard anywhere from like 20 to 25, I don't know. So I, I, had, to, I had to have reconstructive surgery for the shoulder. That was, that was two surgeries. I had to have reconstruction surgery of the face. I had to rebuild the, the cheekbone and the eye orbital uh, bones. And so I was in the hospital, I was going through this every two days, uh, I was getting a surgery. And I guess just from all the antibiotics that they were, that they were giving me to prevent infection from, from having these surgeries, I ended up getting a C. diff infection. And C. diff affects people differently. So basically what happened is the antibiotics killed off the good bacteria in my gut. And there's a bacteria in there that has a big long name that's abbreviated C. diff and it exploded. What happened is my, my colon ended up becoming inflamed and, and mushy. My stomach was distended like I was nine months pregnant. Huh. The pain from that was astronomical. I didn't feel any pain from any of my other injuries once I had this, this C. diff infection. And I really, really thought I was going to die. It was, it was really bad. They moved me back down into intensive care. And a few of the doctors afterwards, even the infectious disease doctor says, says, you know, cycling may have got you in here, but being in good shape may have just ended up saving your life because you were in a really bad way. They considered removing my colon because once the colon becomes so enlarged, uh, the chance of it perforating and, and your chance of survival it diminishes more. So it was just, I really thought that I was going to die. Sounds terrible. I'm, I'm very happy to still be here and, and to, you know, to be talking to you. And so it really changes your outlook on things. So, like, you know, I obviously I had a concussion. I had a collapsed lung and other things. But, but these are injuries and, and they'll heal up. I'm training. I had, other than a little road rash on my on my left hip, I had really nothing wrong with the bottom part of my body. So I, the day after I got out of the hospital, I was there 25 days. I, I was on the bike, starting to pedal again. And because I was on a liquid diet for several weeks and, and food, after you've had so much antibiotics poured into your system, especially antibiotics to try to kill the C. diff, Food tasted horrible. Uh -huh. I mean, everything. My wife went out and bought me food that she knew that I enjoyed and I couldn't eat it. And I ended up losing so much weight. It, it was even like for three weeks after I got home, I had trouble eating because it was just, and I love to eat. Yeah, That's one of the great benefits of working out is to eat. Right. It was bad. <laughs> yeah. But I'm doing a lot better than I should be at this juncture, so... Well, you are you are the picture of toughness, man. You are so tough. I don't know about that. I think everyone would 
everyone fight. Everyone's every. I think anyone in this situation would fight. I don't know if it's me being tough, but just like I say, I'm just grateful to, to be here talking to you. Well, I'm grateful that you were able to get through all that as well, and uh, and I hope that your recovery continues well, and that you know your fight to remain a strong, athletic human being continues to go well. Knowing your story, I have no reason to think it won't. So good luck with all of that, Patrick. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, I don't know what my what my future will be. But every time that something traumatic has happened, I've evolved and I've, I've changed. I've changed gears and I've done new things. Like, for example, after I you know, got this sickness, I evolved to cycling. And so I don't know what the future holds for me, but I'll figure something out. I know that. You will overachieve. I hope so. Once again. I hope so. <laughs> well, Patrick, tell me how people can find you like on social media or find your book and whatever you say here, I'll put in the show notes to make it easier for people to follow up with you directly. Sure. Yeah. So I'm not a big social media guy. So I I do have a a Twitter account, but I don't really go there very much, but I'm on Facebook, Patrick Bohan. And I think they listed as Colorado Springs. Okay. You can find me there. I'll put that in the show notes so people can just click and find okay. you if that's what they want. And the book is on Amazon. And while I had time, because I was laid up so much, uh, I actually wrote a, a children's book to go along wow. with it. It's a it's a fictional story of a of a boy from uh, Castle Rock who oh. also has MMN. It's possible for for children to get it. It's a young adult book. What I hope people get from it is, is the message. It's just trying to bring more exposure to, to the disorder. Well, thanks for that. Again, I'll get all those links in the show notes. Patrick, thank you so much for spending time with me today. Well, I appreciate you having me, and I just hope that somehow, some way, that we're able to, you with your wise athletics and me with my message, just, just try to help at least. We help one person, and it's all worth it. There you go. It's an inspiring story, Patrick. Thanks again. You have a great day. You too. Thanks, Joe. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening in to our discussion with Patrick Bohan. I hope you found his story as inspirational as I did. If you want to follow up with Patrick or find his book, check out the show notes where you can find his information. And if you head over to wiseathletes.com, you can send us a question to address in the podcast, see all of our episodes, subscribe to the podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you are on social media and enjoyed this episode, please post about it. That would be a great help. Thanks again.